Welcome to another episode of the Recommendations podcast, where we talk all things business, love, and science. Today, I am joined by my incredibly inspiring friend, Jessica Rufus, who is the founder of Clabosaurus and the founder and CEO of Number Two Co. Jess, you are freaking amazing, and I'm so grateful <laughs> because this is our second attempt <laughs> at recording this. <laughs> so I've stolen all your time, but thank you for joining me, and thank you for being so open and vulnerable to have this chat today. Oh my gosh, of course, happy to. I mean, I've I've like we had such a great chat last time. It's a shame that it wasn't recorded. So let's do round two. Why not? It's going to be even juicier. I think so. I think so. It was it was really mind blowing, and the topics that we get into and will get into today, I think so many people relate to, especially in regards to uh, the burnout and tech and raising. So let's just backtrack a little bit. Let's talk about the incredible company you built, Clabosaurus, and then how you suddenly produced this amazing brand, Number Two Co, in the midst of a pandemic, and so successfully have just brought it to life. So yeah, let's let's hear a little bit of the story. Sure. Well, Collabosaurus is a matchmaking platform for brands. So it's a software tool that just like Tinder, basically for business, we connect brands together for really clever marketing partnerships and um, strategic collaborations. So things like competitions and giveaways, content series, limited edition products, product or service bundles, experiences, pop-ups, things like that. Teaming up with another brand is the most cost-effective way to reach new potential customers in an engaging way across multiple channels. Um, there was an American Express report that came out that if you're collaborating six or more times a year, you can actually grow your revenue by 17%. So I think in the past, I mean, when I started Collabosaurus many years ago, Brand collaborations were this fluffy, nice-to-have thing that was on the bottom of everyone's to-do lists, I think, or had a really terrible vibe around it, around free stuff. You know, where could we get free stuff from for our event? And that drove me insane. I was working in PR back then, um, and that was just really frustrating. I was a junior. I didn't have the networks or connections yet. Um, but, you know, even if I did, a lot of the other publicists were asking their PR mates you know, what clients do you have that we can just get free stuff for, which I hated, you know, this this could be so strategic and could be so win-win for both brands. So that's where Collabosaurus came about. That was nine years ago now that I came up with the idea. Um, and yeah, now we've attracted about 9,000 brands, including like Estee Lauder, Marks and Spencer, Marley Spoon, Vodafone, whole host of brands, big and small. Um, and we match make them together. We're like, we're like a Cupid for brands getting together and doing really cool marketing collabs together that don't cost a cent. It's unreal though, because you look at the um, ratio of small businesses that exist who really rely on those collaborative experiences. And I'm not just talking about Instagram giveaways. Like I, I remember when I launched with Soul, like community collabs were really valuable to me. Like we did little pop-ups and other retail stores and, you know, they just let us do it for free. And it was just built on that beautiful relationship. And what you're doing is allowing those small brands to meet the big companies that can afford to spend and can afford to do a little bit of, you know, contra work. Um, and then those smaller businesses get that opportunity to be seen where they wouldn't normally have access to that audience. I think it's really powerful. Yeah, thanks. There's also a ton of small business and small business brand collabs, yeah. you know, and big and big and big and small. I think they all have a place and all can really drive different 
different types of outcomes. You know, we've collaborated with small businesses in the past and seen such high value, such yeah. high engagement and, and reach there, whereas the bigger brand collaborations were more powerful from a credibility perspective for us. You know, yeah. teaming up with Microsoft was incredible for us at Collabosaurus. I mean, that baby brand compared to Microsoft, like absolutely. But that partnership was just so fantastic for um, that credibility and positioning in the market, I would say, more so than reach, really. I mean, our collabs yeah. with smaller businesses have those super engaged communities. And so, um, you know, as long as we're adding value to each other's communities through like a content collab or a webinar series or anything like that, um, you know, that seems to drive heaps of reach and engagement. So, yeah, you can use collabs to do, oh, my gosh, any number of things. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's such an incredible it, you know, often it's the simple concepts that are the most complex to produce. And I know that it's got quite an interesting story of how you actually got to where you are with Collabosaurus. I mean, can we dive a alive. bit Alive. Yeah. <laughs> how I got here alive is probably. How, exactly right. And there's context to that because I, like, I'm, you know, honored to have known your story and to heard it to, to have heard it from you but it it's really inspiring because I think a lot of business owners small medium large can relate to that experience um so let's let's go a little deeper if, if you're open sure well back in 2015 when I launched Collabosaurus you know I had big wide eyes about <laughs> lots you of naivety do. oh yeah definitely do. do um about you know starting with a tech business i was i think 22 or 23 years old um i had a background in marketing and pr but i didn't have a background in software at all so i was very much navigating fairly blind <laughs> learning a lot as i was going um and getting started you know i think the moment i entered into this world and community of tech startups in australia everyone's talking about capital raising. That was the whole thing. It was like everyone did it. That's just what you need to do, you know, to get a software company off the ground and um, scaling, you do need capital. And I mean, looking around, I could see why that was the case because engineers cost a fortune, um, you know, even product market fit and stuff like that costs a fortune. I will say now though, if you're starting a software company now, it's the cheapest time in the world to start that because you can do an MVP using something like Squarespace, ClickFunnels, Shopify. There's tools out there that you can use. Back when I got started, no, I was like learning WordPress and then, but I still needed to get a developer to build out customizations to WordPress, which still cost a lot of money. Um, so yeah, capital raising was on my mind. And for the first few years of Collabosaurus, I really dedicated easily 50, 60% of my time towards meeting with investors and doing pitch decks and just like pushing real hard for that for that cap raise because in my mind that was the only path forward and we were getting a bit of traction with Collabosaurus it was growing slowly I was working um, in other jobs at one point I had five jobs while I was building Collabosaurus and trying to raise capital because wow basically my jobs by like waitressing and high school English tutoring and um, consulting and everything like that were, were paying the bills and also paying for things like Facebook ads and <laughs> like stuff back in the day. So um, yeah, I was your working hours, my off. Your hours must have been insane. Like in, that's not human. 
Yes. You know what? Youth is fantastic. Looking back, I actually don't think I could pull the hours I pulled now consistently. Um, I'm 32 now for context or 31, (laughs) 31 for context. So it's kind of like, um, yeah, I think that a lot of a lot of that stamina has changed. But I was just, yeah, fueled by the excitement of it and belief in it, you know, which I still have. Collabosaurus and brand collaborations are just so, so powerful and they really light me up and make me happy. So um, I was really enjoying it and I, I love learning new things. So I was enjoying learning new things. It got to it got to about three years in, though, um, of and I was still waitressing. I was still high school English tutoring, um, as well as w- trying to build Collabosaurus and trying to raise capital, which in itself, raising capital, anyone trying to do that knows it's a full-time job, you know. And and if you don't have a team around you, I didn't have a team around me. I didn't have anyone I could outsource stuff to, you know. <laughs> I had like a part-time developer I could flick the odd thing too that would cost me a lot of money but like that was it it was just me so who did you have around you at that time to have even as a sounding board because at that point you know I really can relate and I can connect to how you're feeling in regards to being alone especially in the financial side of things and the tech side of things you know you're sitting there you're probably doing your best and learning on the fly but who was guiding you or or were you completely just like winging it, like, you know, whatever, whatever feedback back I get, I change. And then, you know, how did that work? I was definitely listening to a lot of people's opinions who their opinion wasn't a qualified opinion. They shouldn't have been, yeah. they weren't my target market. They hadn't worked in the industry, but I was taking every little bit of feedback on board. So like, for example, one of the investors I was, you know, had a million meetings with, um, had a background in like banking, finance, had never touched anything like Collabosaurus before, hadn't worked in tech, hadn't worked in marketing. Um, and his opinion was, look, if you can, build this for insurance companies, I'd be interested. And I was like, you know, I spent six months going down the path of like, should I be doing this for insurance companies and modeling that out and speaking to insurance companies? It was a massive waste (laughs) and I shouldn't have listened to that person, you know, but I think I was I was kind of told a lot and the impression I think I gave was that I was just this young girl, blonde, didn't know anything, and I was in these meetings with these older white dudes. You know, unfortunately, that's the case with with capital raising in Australia, um, who just didn't really take me seriously. But when they did take me seriously, they did not have an understanding of the market or background or opportunity really. And so I felt like I was in these meetings constantly trying to one, defend myself and defend my own decisions, but also um, just trying to convince someone. You know, when you're just like you're in meetings and it's it's exhausting trying to convince someone, you know, um, when they just don't see it. So, yeah, know, that was. I know was you fun. went through so many ups and downs with that. And I, I do want to get into the detail of it. But, you know, just for the thought now, like if you had tangible advice to give to anyone that might be going through this experience from that learning from that experience share that you can provide what would you have done differently in the first stages oh number one would be don't take a loan from a family member that backfired with me ginormous ring a bell yeah oh yes that (laughs) was it cost me more money and emotional heartbreak than it was worth Mm. um 
The second thing would be if you're going to raise capital, raise it before you've launched anything <laughs> because I feel like once you have traction, it's um, it's more numbers for people to pick apart, <laughs> to be honest, and, and define a valuation. So if I was to have my time again, I would have either tried to raise before I'd launched or completely not tried to raise until we have significant traction. I mean, if it was me having my time again, I totally wouldn't have tried at all until we have significant traction and are profitable. Um, and I feel like now more than ever, it's more doable um, to be able to achieve that. Um, are you open to talk about the experience with the loan? Because I think that is, you know, I, I talk to a lot of small startups and a lot of small businesses and often the first to go to is friends and family. And often mm -hmm. investors give that advice themselves. Like you'll hear them say it like before you dive in deep with the big guys and get involved in, you know, raising tons, you know, bootstrap or work with who you know and, you know, reach out to family and friends and, and start with small loans. Um, what what went wrong? Oh my gosh. <laughs> There's so much to that question. That reaction um, says it all. Oh, yeah. Look, that was um, a horrible, horrible time. And it was drawn out over a long, a long period. Um, look, I think like bootstrapping is, of course, hard. It's like, and capital raising is also hard. It's almost like choose your hard. But um, I do think there's just so much value in bootstrapping. Looking back now, I'm so proud that I've been able to bootstrap this to profitability. That in itself is insane considering so much time that was spent on cap raising and stuff like that. But rewinding the clock to that beginning phase um, and speaking to everyone and looking for pieces of advice before I launched Collabosaurus, in my mind, I had this, um, you know, this MVP in mind where I was like, I can build a landing page and see if anyone's interested type thing. And maybe all of the first um, brands that come on board, I can personally matchmake and do it manually. And that's going to cost me, you know, $200 in my bank account. I was like, yeah, I can do that with 200 bucks. I can keep my full-time job and just like, let's see if that works and, and kicks off. I wish, 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 wish I had done that. But I spoke to so many people who were just like, um, they were of the mentality of build it and they will come. No, you need to get it right the first time. It needs to, you know, you need to invest in this technology, blah, blah, blah. This is exciting. Of course, all of my initial financial projections were ginormous because I was so excited. And I was like, imagine if there are 10,000 brands on a paid subscription, you know? Wow. <laughs> like, and for context, we've never gotten there. I've never hit that, that level, you know, because 10,000 brands on a paid subscriptions is multi, multi, multi-million dollar recurring revenue company. But that's what I was projecting back in the day. And I was like, this is what it could look like. You know, how many businesses are there in Australia? So if we capture X amount of the market, blah, 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 but let's do this first. And everyone I spoke to was like, um, this is a really great opportunity. Build it first. You know, you need to spend the money, speak to developers, blah, blah, blah. So my cousin had worked in the product team for freelancer.com. So he was kind of the only person I knew who had worked in tech. And I spoke to him about it um, and he introduced me to a developer and had some thoughts and stuff as well. 
his view was very much do the MVP and I wish I'd listened to him, but he introduced me to a developer and, um, you know, that developer was very expensive, but, and I only got one quote from one developer because he was uh, oh the God. referred person to me and I had no idea. And then I was like, oh, okay. So, you know, if we were, if we were to build this, we, um, we probably need, you know, like $200,000, which I certainly didn't have. <laughs> um, and I was talking to people in my family and then I've got a family member who has done very well for themselves um, and they uh, heard the idea and I basically was just asking for feedback and advice and they said, oh, well, you know, I'm happy to support this and, like, you know, would you want us to invest? And I said no at first. I was like, no, no, I'll just build this MVP thing for, you know, 200 bucks. And it was like, no, no, really, like do the numbers, come back, let me have a look at the numbers and and all of that and let me see. And so in the end I took um, a loan, which was under $100,000, and then uh, that was sort of drip-fed through. But then a little way through that process, it was a, you know what, I don't think this is working. I think you should go get a job in marketing. And I didn't really want to do that. And I was torn, you know, do I shut the doors? You know, really, it's not working. And fun fact, the next day I got a call from Apple, which was just a whole other story. And that totally kept me going. Um, and so then I was like, you know what, no, I'll just, I'll keep pushing on. And, you know, another year passes. Collaborosis is doing well. Oh, the call was asking if I'd be on a panel talking about brand collaborations at Apple wow. Store, which was just like so amazing. <laughs> and that's so, incredible. so early. I think that's such a universal moment where it's like, no. Yes, totally. All the bullshit, like you're meant to be doing this. Because I mean, even from the beginning of this story where you only had one quote, I mean, looking back now, I'm sure you would have you would tell anyone the same advice, which is get a hundred quotes and talk get to a hundred quotes. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And do the MVP first. Of yeah. course. You want to see if people are actually interested in it. Like for the first, I reckon two years of Collabosaurus, I had built it for publicists because I'd come from a PR background. The yeah. whole platform was geared towards being a tool for publicists. For the first two years, not a single publicist used the platform. Yeah. It's like everyone I spoke to was like, yeah, this sounds great. But actions speak louder than words and you need things like a little mini prototype or MVP, which totally anyone can build these days. But even to the, prove it. that customer feedback, like it doesn't matter mm. what you do, service, product, tech, if you don't ask the question, do you like this? Do you want this? Will you use this? You know, how will you use this? How often will you use this? Yes. What? what are you doing? Like you're just I did. Uh, it's, it's funny because I did ask those questions, but I asked them of friends. And I think <laughs> you, you need to people. ask, exactly. You need some people who are like not emotionally connected to you. I asked all those questions. I remember friends saying, I would definitely use that. That would be amazing, blah, blah, blah. And then none of them signed up. <laughs> I couldn't no believe it. They all, but you know what? Like as an example, when I launched Sol, we did the Bondi Beach Farmers Market every Saturday and Sunday for two years. Even through our rapid growth phases, where we suddenly, you know, exploded, I was still on the freaking markets every weekend selling. Yeah. And that customer feedback, like they don't give a shit if you're the founder. Like someone will walk past and be like, "Wow, that's ugly. Like I hate that color." Or like. Why does it look like Ouch. this? Oh my God, ruthless, ruthless. So ruthless. Feedback. But 
that's what helps you grow. That's totally. what helps you change and, you know, pick the right colors and sizes and designs, or, you know, whatever it is that you're doing. So it's, it's really about getting the audience right and not asking your friends and family. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, that whole situation, basically how it wound up was um, they wanted equity in the company and I was sort of taken aback by that. And so I took the option to um, basically uh, pay everything back and then wow. um, start again, <laughs> essentially, because it was incredibly expensive and I didn't want to give away equity because in my mind then and I was like, this is... This is a, you know, potentially life-changing business for me and giving away a ginormous chunk of equity really for not that much at the very, very, very early stages of Calabasaurus would have just, what's that word when you get like your hamstrung? Like you can't, yeah. it doesn't give you room for movement down the track. You know, I have friends now who run tech businesses who took on heaps of capital early on. Um which relatively now to the value of the business is like not that much capital, but they ate up so much equity to the point where if they do another round of capital raising, which they do need to do in order to grow, um, they're not going to have a controlling equity share in their own business, which is a real um, issue. So, yeah. I think that's very brave. I think that was a very, very brave move at such an early stage. I, I think that is definitely a trap that most founders fall into is that excitement of the raise that you know disregard for equity because it's essentially at that stage has no value right it doesn't mean anything there's no attachment because you haven't spent enough time in the business mm -hmm. yet mm -hmm. so it's it's actually really amazing that you were able to recognize that like I think you should feel so proud <laughs> of, of young Jess to have had that moment to reflect and be like, actually, this is worth a lot more than, you know, this this experience. But what what happened next? Because starting again, I think that must have felt quite challenging. Well, I made the right decision with one of those decisions and then I um, very quickly made a not so great decision uh, and that was giving a big chunk of equity to a business partner because a lot of the feedback I was getting from investors who never invested was, um, you know, you're a female, solo, non-technical founder um, and that was a real problem. I mean, I remember being interviewed by on a podcast, you can listen to the podcast and hear me squirm because that interview was like brutal, but with a prominent investor in Australia and then the mics got turned off and he said to me, Jess, if you want to raise capital, you need to sell the fact that you're female and under 30 because that's your only selling point. Wow. And at the time, wow. we'd attracted thousands of customers you know I was just looking at our traction going oh my gosh but I took it so personally at the time you know that just hit my gut and I was like wow like there's nothing else I can do what am I supposed to do walk into a room with like my tits out and be like hi I'm female and under 30 like invest in me because <laughs> that hadn't worked so far <laughs> people can't see the camera while they're listening to this episode but I'm just like shaking my head Oh, yeah. It's so, so like, And I think it's still happening right now. I don't, I don't think anything really has changed at all. But what do you do in that situation? What did you do? 
I mean, I'd never felt disadvantaged as a young female in business ever until I went to try and raise capital. So, I mean, in that moment, you know how you have those like conversations with yourself, you replay conversations in the shower and you're like, I should have said this and I should have done that and I should have stuck up for myself. Like, oh, I'm kicking myself. I didn't say something witty and clever back and just like really put them in their place. But, you know, at the time I totally shrunk. It was, I froze, I shrunk. It was like, oh, okay, um, you know, thanks for the feedback. Like, and I really took that opinion as someone very high up in investing and in their very known figure. So I was like, okay, you know, their opinion matters and, and that opinion I really internalized. So yeah, it was tough. I mean, and that wasn't the only meeting. I mean, I remember going into another meeting and just the first question they asked, it wasn't even about the business. It wasn't even about my weekend. It was just... So when are you expecting on having children? About my weekend, it was just, so when are you expecting on having children? Because with female entrepreneurs, you never know how. It wasn't the only meeting. So I've, there's meetings that I've just been left totally stunned. And and just, I, I think, allowing myself to get really small off the back of those meetings and, and kind of, it took a long time to get over that. I can't imagine sitting in that actual room and being asked that and not want to be like, fuck you at the same time of also feeling really, you know, in shock. But I guess in that moment, and, and you are, you know, being a little bit younger as well and maybe not having many of those experiences yet, you're kind of trusting, like you walk in with trust and hope and excitement because you're only thinking about the success of your business or like the goals of your business. Like I like what you said being that you previously hadn't encountered any experiences of, you know, that female tech concept that everybody brings up. Because even me as a female founder, being in the coffee industry, for example, like you hear a lot of talk of it being very like masculine led. And I never experienced it because I wasn't thinking about it. Like I didn't care about that. It, you know, I was just in my zone, in my lane, making shit happen. But when it happens to you, it's kind of like, the fuck? Like, <laughs> what? Yeah. really, is this still happening? And I mean, I know that it really impacted you. So what, what did you do to sort of A, work through that challenge? Because it does really hurt, like it does end up mm. building. And then how did you overcome that? Well, it all kind of culminated um, towards the end of 2018. I had gotten accepted into the Austrade landing pad program in San Francisco. Wow. And I was like, you know, I'd heard about Silicon Valley. There's lots of investments going on. I was like, this is my one last chance. This is going to be the last chance I give myself at raising capital. I'm going to, you know, pack up my belongings, move to San Francisco for three months and hustle my butt off to see if I can raise capital. And I went over there. Um, I hustled. We signed Walmart as part of that trip, wow. which was absolutely crazy so so exciting we totally weren't ready for Walmart back then. Wow, that's but I mean what validation and I was just so excited you know because taking that to meetings being like Walmart just signed up you know like this is so exciting I had a lot of meetings but a lot of the people um, I met with 
weren't investing in seed stage. I just basically America is so, so network led and that's fantastic. But to really build those, you know, relationships over there, you've got to be there for longer than than three months and also have an audience and community and customers in the US. A lot of them were looking at it going, this is fantastic. If you can do this in America, I'm in, you know, but then to do it in America, I need funding. So it was just such a catch 22. So I came home from that trip so, so burnt out. I had worked across two time zones, not sleeping, just, yeah, it was crazy. And I came home with no money and we'd lost a huge portion of our customers because historically anyway, November, December is brutal for Collabosaurus because B2B, you know, there's either people are super crazy in the Christmas period and it's a monthly subscription. So they go, cool, we'll just like pause this for a couple of months and come back. Or they're in B2B and go, we're cash strapped. We can't afford subscriptions. So they pause the subscription. So we always see a dip. But this particular dip in 2018 was um, catastrophic. It was to the point where, um, you know, we'd spent any remaining capital that we had built up from profit on this trip to San Francisco, which is very expensive to live and everything in San Francisco. And I was living in a share house with five other people, you know, still thousands of dollars in rent. Um, And then, yeah, so I came home burnt out, out of money, out of hope, completely ready to close the doors. I was like, you know what? This isn't working and I can't keep doing this. By 2018, I had been pushing this boulder uphill with Collabosaurus for years and just feeling like I wasn't getting anywhere. We were seeing traction, but in my mind, you know, we needed this capital to grow. At that point, just to interrupt for a moment, you had already brought on this tech partner that you'd given equity to? Yes. And he was still part of the business? Mm-hmm. And was that aiding in any aspect of the raising because based on the advice you were given? No, no. <laughs> I would say it was funny though. We did do a couple of meetings um, together, and you know, all the questions were directed at him. And mm. I mean, he was fantastic. He would just keep going. Well, Jess is the founder, so Jess is the best person to answer that question. You know, it was it was a very interesting experience. But um, basically, what that relationship was is that he ran a software development agency, um, and so we agreed that you know, um, you could have capital in exchange for rebuilding the website as a custom software rather than having WordPress tricked out with a billion plugins that slowed Mm. down the site. And so that's what we did. Um, Long story short, the site never got completed. It was this big hoo-ha. In the end, I bought him out and, um, again, started again. Wow. So you've come back. You've come back from this trip and burnt out of shit. Yes. And then essentially having to decide, do I continue or do I just close? Mm. And you're attempting to buy him out at this point or it already happened? You know what? I can't fully remember. I don't (laughs) think, oh, you know what? All of this happened right before I left. No, that's right. It was, so it was the end of 2018, this whole, like the website hadn't been finished. We had like this interim thing that was, could keep us going, but it wasn't, finished and I think by like early 2019 um it had all wrapped up from memory um what did you decide where where did you go from there because I can so relate to that feeling of exhaustion because it doesn't mean you're not passionate about the business it doesn't mean you're not you know motivated but that level of tiredness like it's in your soul like it hurts to like sit up straight and I know that exhaustion it's mental 
Mm -hmm. Um, How did you pull yourself out of that? What did you do to look after yourself and take the next step? Well, I think added into the mix as well, like Christmas and family times and social occasions and stuff like that just added to it all because every time I saw anyone, they were like, how's Calabasaurus going? You know, and I just felt like bursting into tears because it was just, I'd been pushing this for years and I was really, really, really considering closing the doors. There wasn't really a way out that I could see that could pay me a salary um, and things like that. So I think I kind of took some time um, and kind of allowed myself to really work through the feelings and and it took months and months. Like you don't just recover from that kind of thing quickly. Um, So it took a lot of months and I kind of sat on it because I remember Matt, my partner, he was just like, he's like, I really think you'll regret it if you close the doors. And I was like, I think I will too, but I'm just out of energy. I'm out of motivation. I'm out of money. Like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. But I had this glimmer of an idea, which I mean, I've had a million ideas before that haven't worked out, but this one particularly excited me. When I was over in the States, I spoke to a lot of people at networking events about brand collaborations. And a lot of the feedback from America was, oh my gosh, I love brand partnerships. We love collaborations. They're a core part of our strategy. We get pitched by like 150 brands a month. And that to me was mind blowing because compared to Australia, that's a completely different mindset. So then I realized, oh, you know, it's actually not access to opportunity that Americans are looking for. It's streamlining of managing the inbound opportunity they're already getting (laughs) and seeing the value quickly. And so I quickly had this idea for a pitch portal, which is basically a web page that people can um, submit interest in collaborating with you. And then our alg- algorithm in the back end would automatically sort opportunities based on what's going to be most valuable to you based on the data you've put in. Um, we already had the algorithm, so it was quite easy to be like, okay, maybe we build a landing page. But like bearing in mind, I was like in debt at this point. I didn't even have money to like build a landing page. I'm not joking you when I'm saying this. <laughs> like, I'm it a, I really believe dire. <laughs> Yeah, It was dire. Wow. So I had many, you know, moments. I remember there was this one big breakdown night where I was just sobbing facing the reality of how am I going to close it and really entertaining the idea of like, what's the social media plan? How am I going to deal with customers and mapping that out? And then it really felt real. And I was like, oh no, like, you know, what's this? And I was talking to Matt and he basically said, "Um, look, build this pitch portal because you sound like this could be this could be the game changer and he's like stuff investors stop spending time on that forget them like see what you can do with this pitfall idea and so I designed it that's why they look so terrible but we have a um, we have a 99 designs collaboration coming out in the next few months to reveal the new design looks which is exciting but this is many years ago I designed it (laughs) and um, I got Kendrick to contract a couple of hours to develop it and link it up to our database. And I maxed out the remaining $1,200 on my personal credit card um, to be able to pay for it. And we launched wow. we launched the pitch portal and I piloted it with a few brands like Olay um, and Channel 10. And then all of a sudden, brands like ASOS signed up to the platform and it was momentum and it wasn't um I do want to preface this by like revenue wasn't 
you know, big really quick. That's not how it happened. It was slow, but it was like little validation by little validation. Oh my gosh, ASOS is using it. Oh my God, Gritty Pretty just signed up. Oh my gosh, hey, Tiger are now using it. Like it was just, it, and it kind of snowballed and it got really exciting and the revenue slowly started to catch up with that um, throughout 2019. And 2019 was at that time by far the best um, year we'd had. And then 2020 COVID hit and I stressed, but we quadrupled in size in 2020. So it was just like bootstrapping in the end was the best decision I ever made. But, and I'm so glad I didn't close the doors, but man, I almost did. I love that you showed light on the reality that it wasn't this huge like explosion of money in the bank it was that that (laughs) trickling because this needs to be talked about like at the end of the day it was those little you know consistent validating moments that gave you that strength like it was probably recharging you and going okay yes okay consistency is key here keep going don't stop Um, because that's what you need (laughs) in any size of your business, especially, you know, after running for say five years or seven years or, you know, eight years or almost a decade as founders, we go through those ebbs and flows of exhaustion and, you know, it comes up and down and you, you have good years and shit years and you need that consistency to remain hopeful (laughs) amongst the, the chaos that is around you. And I think, you know, being able to recognize that and then use it as your power. I think that was really special. And, you know, that's probably where the the most success came from, like those little moments just then. Absolutely. It wasn't even money. It was, yeah. Um, yeah, it was the little moments and little signs, little signs from the universe. You know, it's funny how things work. And I mean, it's it's incredible that through the pandemic you could drop quadrupled. <laughs> Can't even <laughs> say the word. Um, what what changed now in terms of the the way that the business operates and the systems and and how are you coping with the growth and the balance? Because you know to go through so much. Because even the story you've expressed now it's still really only two percent of what really happened you know like i know there's (laughs) so much more to it but i can feel just you know energy wise it it must have been just so much growth and so much you know internalizing and processing where are you now what have you learned and and what are you doing differently yeah that's a really good question because i'm doing a lot differently so um 2019 2020 were big growth years for collabosaurus but behind the scenes what was actually happening was i was making different mistakes (laughs) new mistakes um so (laughs) i remember a business coach saying to me once like new level new devil like you you just gotta like tackle like new challenges at each different stage almost spat my water everywhere (laughs) do you like that saying new level new devil Uh, uh, beautiful so yeah at that new level the new devil I was tackling was staffing and Mm -hmm. in 2020 um I was desperate for um people to come on board and help me and in my mind of course the only exposure I'd had to big team builds and stuff like that back then was in an agency setting so I built the team in a kind of an agency structure all based in Sydney or you know we had this fancy office we had a city office and then we moved to the northern beaches and then we had that office and that was really exciting but there was um you know looking back I was misspending 
um, the money we were making quite dramatically on um, people. And, you know, you hear everywhere at, at that level, especially everyone's talking about, you know, you've got to invest in your people and people and culture. And so I was investing like so, so much in <laughs> I remember there was one day I was trying to compete with like the Ubers and Slacks of this world, you know, so there was like a tab at the local cafe where, you know, everyone could get coffees and drinks and and food and stuff like that. And we worked, um, I think it was 10 till 4 and on full-time salaries and stuff like that. And I really wanted to do that for everybody. Um, and that's how I wanted to work. But in reality, as a small startup bootstrapped business, those decisions were just not good decisions. And, you know, I couldn't afford to hire huge, like senior, very experienced people. So I was hiring juniors and training them up. And there was one point at the end of, I think it was 2020 or early 2021, where I lost three staff in three weeks. And wow. it was um, brutal. It's so, so emotionally draining. It's Stop. so emotionally draining. And we'd had a year of consistent, predictable growth in 2020. And then 2021, I hired again to quickly like fill the gaps in losing those three people. I quickly hired again to fill those. But then 2021 was like flatline. We didn't lose customers. We didn't grow. It was just very, very consistent and holding on. But of course, I'd made hiring decisions based on growth. So then that caused a whole other issue of really needing to re-examine our processes and structure, um, which ultimately, you know, it was a very, very tough time, but ultimately has built a better structured business. You know, we are so much more automated now. We're so much, everyone's remote. Um, and I love that. I love working remote. And it also allowed us to open our talent pool to people in Brisbane and Melbourne and like Sarah's in Melbourne. She's fantastic and I just wouldn't have been able to work with her had I like limited it to just like Sydney and having everyone in the office so yeah there's a few things I'm doing differently definitely not overspending on people how how did you find that process though with the the because people are so complicated there's so many oh, layers yeah. there's even just from a training perspective and and you know, guiding through roles and responsibilities and expectations. And then you're sitting here now going, okay, I've automated. Like what, what does that difference actually look like from a, you know, tangible advice perspective? What are things that you can actually do better, smarter without, you know, draining your cash flow at, at those stages? Yeah, I think it's totally dependent on every single business will have different processes, but, um, yeah, like we, um, I'm trying to think of a really good example of something we examined. Well, first of all, we looked at, so Toggle is something I recommend to everybody. Toggle is a free browser window website time tracking tool. I Everyone who works at Clavisaurus toggles their time. And at the end of, and it's not to, you know, be a, like Nazi with every second spent on everything. It was at the end of three months, I could have a look at what everyone was spending time on and what was taking up time, you know, and for what result. So for example, there were things like I was telling myself, oh my gosh, I need a bookkeeper because I hate bookkeeping and I'm spending so much time on bookkeeping. Meh, 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 meh. Then when I actually looked at Toggle, I'm spending like 10 minutes a week on bookkeeping. <laughs> it's just that I hated it. But it was like, actually, that's not the best outsource, you know? Yeah. So Toggle helped me realize that. And we also were able to, you know, for example, we pulled together quarterly account reports for our um, um, business plan subscribers on Clavisaurus. And that was 
taking heaps of time and the account support person would be building that, you know, in Sydney. And, uh, you know, we'd be designing it and everything like that. So really we looked at that and we're like, okay, let's templatize this. Mm. We created this like template with less customized images because that wasn't needed. It was about the data. Still looked pretty, but it was templatized. And then we had a VA fill in the numbers from that month much less cost per hour to get, you know, all of those numbers in. And then they would hand that draft to the account manager expert, brand collaborations expert, and then they would cross-check, edit anything they wanted to edit, and then connect with the client. So little things like that really save a ton of money. It's all the little one percenters. You can like go in and automate and change, even invoicing. We didn't have an automated invoice system. And really that took Tin, our amazing software developer, two hours to build. And it was like, then it was automated. So we didn't have to create invoices anymore. So I really highly recommend re-examine your processes regularly. I will do this again. You know, I'll review what everyone's spending time on, what I'm spending time on. Where's where's your time actually best spent? Because my time isn't best spent on admin. And I love admin. I can spend hours on admin. I'm really good at it. Um, but there's this whole concept of working at level, which I love Martin Moore, who's a leadership um, coach and he runs a fantastic podcast as well if anyone's interested called No Bullshit Leadership. Um, he talks about working at level and so when you you know get a promotion or you start your own business and things like that we like to just in our innate sense of fight or flight and stuff we love to stick where things are comfortable and like psychologically our brain's always fighting for us to do things that are comfortable rather than actually move outside our comfort zone and i mean i'm a risk taker i do love moving out of my comfort zone but in a day-to-day -day setting my goodness i can get pulled into admin and emails for hours upon hours because i'm very comfortable there <laughs> so toggle is a great way and tool to pull myself out of that because i can see i've spent an hour on emails that's it i'm closing closing that now and i'm not looking at emails for another wow. day I think that's so, so important. I, It's that moment of unemotional detachment from working in the business to stepping outside and going, what am I even doing? Yeah. <laughs> what did I even do today? And I think that is so valuable. And I often talk about, you know, building systems, building processes. If you're in sales, having CRM tools, you don't have to work with the big brands that cost an arm and a leg. You can create like internal, smart, little, you know, concepts that the teams can all work across that just help mm. guide and, you know, review time. I, th I think this is the number one lesson that keeps coming up again and again and again is how do you use your time? Because exactly like you said, all of us founders, especially from the beginning, we wear all hats. We oh, are, yeah. you know, many faces, many talents, and we often find it probably quite challenging to let go of some of those tasks because of that comfort level and also control. It's like, mm -hmm. you know, it's my reputation. It's my baby. <laughs> yeah. you know, like, like you get caught in that. I do think it's a really good thing um, that I did do all of the hats and wear, like wear all of them at the beginning because I knew how long certain things would take yeah. or should take and I could create KPIs that were reasonable off the back of that. Um, I knew I wasn't crazy with the sales KPIs because, you know, those sales KPIs were ones that I was hitting amidst also doing other jobs. So if a full-timer can't, you know, hit those KPIs, then, you know, there's a problem. So, yeah, I think that's really, really valuable. I also think it's really important to 
like, because I think what you vibe with and really enjoy doing and your idea of success as well changes as you go. My idea of success has changed dramatically from the beginning. When I started Collabosaurus, my idea of success was to sell Collabosaurus to Google for $100 million. Now, my, I mean, that would be nice, but... Um, what an evaluation now, as well. <laughs> I know, I know, lol. Um, but now my idea of success is very, very different. You know, I'd love to own a house in Sydney, which in itself <laughs> is quite a large goal. It's quite That's ambitious. That. Isn't but, it just? Yeah, but it's funny how things change. So I think you need to re-examine regularly as well. It's like, what does my idea of success look like? And then does my day-to-day -day actually reflect that? Is what I'm working on reflecting the goal I'm trying to work towards, you know, now? And has that goal changed? And yeah. I couldn't have said it better. I, I think these are the foundations of longevity in any business is that re-examination period again and again and again and not doing it alone like involving the team and making sure that your team that are working with you are aligned in those values and those goals and you know are are on the same path as you and and you're supporting that process but i mean man you've been through some hoops and <laughs> it's amongst all of it i can't believe it that you created a new business on top of everything. Oh, yes. Oh my gosh, we haven't even spoken about I, that yet. <laughs> I'm I'm weary that we are going to run out of a little bit of time. But if you could just touch us on what number two co is and just share a little bit of love and insight on how you built this brand. Sure. So it's very different to Clavosaurus, completely different type of business. So um the closest thing in the market is ASOP post poo drops. <laughs> a lot of people have heard of those. So during COVID, I was stuck in an apartment with two boys. We only had one toilet. Something needed to be done. And so I started mixing things in my kitchen and came up with number two <laughs> post-flush perfume drops. What were you mixing in your kitchen? <laughs> oh, essential oils, all sorts of different things. Um, room sprays. Yes, I was desperate because everything on the market has synthetic fragrances. I hated mm. that. You know when you spray an aerosol can and it ends up on your skin, it ends up in your lungs, and it's just synthetic, chemical, disgusting. Also, the other things on the market were in gross packaging or had the word poo in everything. And I hated that. It's the type of thing I didn't want to put on display. I wanted something that was bougie and beautiful. Um, like when you see the ASOP hand washes at someone's house and you go, ooh, that's nice. I wanted something like that, you know, in a beautiful package that didn't have the word poo that was also really effective um, and amazing. So that's where number two came came from <laughs> and we've just sold out again today <laughs> oh my god it, it is an incredible product though and it smells insane like you've got me hooked it's thank so you. beautiful you're such an early supporter of number two thank oh, you because i really am inspired by those solution-based products like I love a story like that because it's so real. It's so authentic that it you can just everybody feel. goes. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. And but I really I related to the packaging aspect because packaging is really important to me. A big part of my brand was built on the consumer psychology of that customer experience of when they first touch the box and when they mm. open it. And I think that's such a big part of experiential consumerism. Like we like to, if you're already in a store and you're picking it up, like we love to, you know, investigate and people are yes. curious, like, what is that? It's so pretty. 
And I love that you picked up on the fact that it doesn't have the word poo yeah. on it because think of like who wants to buy that? Like who wants to hand that over at the cash register or even yes. online? And who wants to have it on display in their home? No. I think the the toilet itself is a room in the house that no one really, <laughs> like everyone spends a lot of time in there, but it no one spends time on interior design or styling or anything in there. Mm. And who gives a crap has really done a fantastic job of brightening up that space because they've got the beautiful colored toilet rolls. They've got a fantastic, you know, business model. And um, I started to notice that around too. And I was just like, oh, this this space in the house needs a zhuzh. <laughs> and then you did it. <laughs> I did it with fragrance and I did it with a little like something beautiful as well. Exactly. No, it's it's <laughs> stunning. And, and I think it's, I think it's going to be a long lasting part of your business repertoire. I think it's just the beginning, but I mean, just to sort of wrap up because there's so many golden nuggets of advice between everything that you've been through. I think if you could share specifically, I think in the tech space, because that is such a prominent industry right now, I think it's never been more important to understand. Um, where are you at with, you know, Clabosaurus? What is the next aspect of growth for you? And what advice can you give to somebody who maybe is just starting out? Well, I mean, my experiences with investment haven't ended. In 2021, I was approached by someone I knew quite well to be like, let's do this, let's invest. And then it was another thing that fell through and it was devastating for me and I burnt out again. So 2020 was has been a really tough year. Or 2022, I should say, has been a really tough year because I feel like I've spent the whole year really exhausted um, and also battling against all the recession fears and the media and the like post-COVID businesses are cash strapped, you know. So it's like we're not going to, I don't think, see the ginormous growth this year that, you know, we were hoping for. But that's fine. I mean, in saying that, I think um, I do want to mention that because businesses are cash strapped, because advertising costs are really rising and PR is harder to get than ever, I re there's never been a more necessary time to use collaboration marketing as part of your strategy because it doesn't cost you anything. You know, you're leveraging currencies other than cash and what you already have available to you in order to grow and reach new potential customers and engage customers too. So I really do think Collabosaurus has a huge place in the midst of a recession. Um, so yeah, we'll see how it goes. But I think in terms of what's happening next for the business. Um, we have a fantastic partnership with 99designs coming, which I'm so excited about. Um, that's the pitch portal overhaul. You know how like when you start a Squarespace site, you can choose from a couple of different website templates. It's basically going to be like that for wow. Collabosaurus pitch portal. So um, oh I'm jazzed about that because I am very obsessed with beautiful design. <laughs> like with number two and so having the pitch portal design from my shonky like canva mock-up from years ago it's like that has needed to change for a long time um there's some cool things happening with the app there's um yeah some some big partnerships on the horizon actually i should say <laughs> but and hopefully a u.s launch eventually oh wow it's it's a rocket ship and it's only just getting started i think and i mean just for anyone that is in that world right now who might be considering taking a loan or getting investors or bootstrapping i mean what's the most important you know share that you could provide from from everything you've been through 
Um, I would say be very careful to who you're listening to. Uh, like listen to yourself and listen to your customers and your ideal target market. They're the people that you should be listening to most. Um, investment, mm, it depends on the business, but I would say see about absolutely everything you can possibly do prior to getting investment yourself first. And if you need any recommendations, like you ask, or recommendations, I should say, um, you can <laughs> reach out to me on DM on Instagram and just like, let me know your idea. And I can give you some pointers as to like, you know, maybe ClickFunnels, you could build an MVP on, or maybe Squarespace, you could do it or whatever. There's so many tools out there now and it's so easy to test an idea and, and get feedback and and then ultimately build a really fantastic profitable business sooner like a lot quicker mm -hmm. close that gap and, and make sure that margin's there so yeah I mean I've been scarred so much by investors so I'm not the best person to ask about investment because my recommendation my recommendation is to avoid 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 um and and see how much you can do by yourself but you've got this I mean you know if, if it was easy, everyone would be doing it. I think it's just, of course, it's going to be hard, but the rewards at the end are just, yeah, there's nothing that compares. There are super low lows in running a business, but there are super high highs. And I know a lot of people who don't have their own business who are working corporate jobs and that kind of high, that kind of pride that can come from little like glimmers of success along the way, um, which I do want to say, you know, success isn't just about selling the business for $100 million to Google as much as that would be nice. You get like highs from the little successes and the little wins. You know, when we sign certain clients I'm really excited about, when a collab happens that I'm really excited about, there are little wins along the way that like those highs just don't compare, I don't think so. I think that comes from being innately present and connected to your why from the beginning. And I think to sort of tie together what you're saying, like those wins, it even comes from customers feedback. Like totally. I had the best experience. Like it was an easy, seamless process. Like just those little conversations of feedback, I think, you know, it just melts your heart. And I think that comes from the fact that you are so present and you are so connected to what you do and why you do it every day. And I think when you have those moments to remind yourself each morning and hold a little bit of, you know, space for gratitude and that awareness, I think there's so many more wins than there are downfalls or, you know, chaos complications. And it, <laughs> chaos. it makes chaos is a good way to describe it, isn't it? It's, it's the, you know, the love amongst the chaos that makes it so worth being a founder and doing the hard yards to get to, you know, where you are now. And I think you have done a freaking unbelievable job. Like Jess, you inspire me so much every day. And oh, I'm, I'm so grateful that we can share a little bit of your story. Thank you so much for having me. And I mean, likewise, you are such an inspir inspirational founder. And um, yeah, you're a legend for bringing these conversations to life. So interesting. Hmm. Thank you so much, Jess. Thank you. No worries. Yay.